Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in, our, in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. But David said, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with uh, an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teachings, teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. 
What do you expect to happen when you speak the gospel of Jesus to family or friends? Let me just leave that on the table for a second and tell you a story. Uh, years ago, Alice and I were house parents at a girls' boarding school in Armadale. Years ago. Yeah. Um, and um, one day, a tiny, a really tiny year eight girl challenged me to a fight, which I thought was hilarious. She put cushions on the floor in the middle of this public area. Uh, and there was a lot of people around, a lot of other girls around. She put cushions, cushions on the floor, uh, apparently for me to land on, which I thought was even more hilarious. She then gave me the first option of grabbing her, which I resisted to start with, but eventually she insisted. So I reached out to pick her up. The next thing I know, I was flat on my back, on the floor, gasping for air because I'd missed the cushions. Now, it all happened in a second, literally. Uh, and I still to this day don't know exactly know how it happened, but it happened. Things didn't turn out as expected because she had a secret and powerful weapon at her disposal. She was actually skilled in the art of uh, judo, which would have been helpful for me to have known beforehand. But since then, I've learned that if you want to bully people, you, have to, you can't even assume to pick on small people these days. So back to the question. What do you expect to happen when you speak the gospel of Jesus to your friends, family, workmates? Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus is powerful? That's the title of my sermon this morning. But do you believe that, that it's powerful, that Jesus is unstoppable in his mission of saving those, all those he died for some nearly 2,000 years ago? Do, do you believe that in 2021, Jesus continues to build his church, gathering one by one those people in time and space, those people he died for? From every tribe and nation in our world. Now, I think we might be tempted to think that in actual fact, when you look around the world, the cause of Christ is actually going backwards and that Jesus has actually been squeezed out of his own world. Of course, the problem there is that we cannot see the world at a glance. We don't know really essentially what's happening in every part around the world. But when we do inquire, and it's quite easy to inquire, when we do inquire, the evidence is actually beyond dispute. Daily, countless hundreds, thousands of people are being confronted and renewed by the gospel of Jesus around our world. Daily, people are being added to the church, the local church. New local church families are forming. And that's often in spite of the most ruthless, violent attempts of governments and nations and authorities to crack down and rid themselves of the gospel of Jesus. Friends, that's why we're doing this series on Acts of the, Apostle, the Apostles called the Unstoppable, <laughs> the Unstoppable Jesus. We want each of you to be excited 
to be confident, to be expectant that when we speak the gospel of Jesus, we are doing the work of Messiah with the secret weapon of God's word applied by the Holy Spirit, bringing joy and light and life to people otherwise wandering and lost in darkness. That's what the series is about. So let's jump into the text this morning and, and just a little bit of recapping from the last two or three weeks. Uh, the radically fulfilled promises which dominate Luke's early chapters, which emphasize the unstoppable salvation work of Jesus. Even though he's now operating from heaven, the harvest has begun and is continuing and is unstoppable because Jesus is unstoppable. In chapter one, verses one to 11, the apostles were promised the secret weapon, which would make them effective witnesses, which would make them effective kingdom builders for Jesus. And that, that promise was the gift of the Holy Spirit and his enabling power. And in chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, we saw last week that that promise is delivered in a mind-blowing moment. Together with, the verses there, that together with clear instruction by Peter as to how to understand what had just been experienced and witnessed by everyone, a large crowd. We're not left to guess how to understand the coming of the Spirit. We're told in detail. And then Peter also helps us understand that, that the fulfillment of that immediate promise needs to be understood itself in a bigger promise, the bigger promise of God's salvation made hundreds of years earlier through the prophet Joel, where God said, I will act to reestablish my rule. I will save my people by delivering them from their sin and from the guilt of their sin, by dealing with their sin. I'll change them from the inside out by my spirit. I'll give them proper understanding of me, says the Lord. I'll enable them by my spirit to live obediently in my service and to my glory. God's promise has just been radically delivered. And as Dave said last week, the Lord of the harvest has begun his harvest. Now, in the verses of before me this morning, I, I think that what Luke's doing is just given us two illustrations of radically changed situations, radically changed people, and a radically changed community. Illustrations of what happens when the Lord is busy in his harvest. What happens when we speak the gospel of Jesus? What an incredible scene we have here as we jump into verse 22 now. We've got a, a group of about 120 believers, including the apostles. No doubt, absolutely stunned as they spoke fluently in languages not known to them only minutes earlier. We got a huge crowd, well in excess of 3,000. We can just sense them milling around in, in amazement. And at that moment, we see the, the, the radically new face of Peter. 
no longer hiding in the shadows or denying association with Jesus, Peter steps up and confronts this large, and I'm going to suggest in a moment, hostile crowd. They're, they're, it's a crowd of religious Jews, uh, both locals and those who traveled hundreds of kilometers in commitment to the religious observances of special days and feasts, this particular one, the, the day of Pentecost. Now, the crowd, therefore, each of them would have prided themselves in being God's special people. Uh, they were so fanatical in trying to protect the name of God, protect Jewish religion, that just, remember, six weeks earlier, 50 days earlier, they had banded together to effect the murder of Jesus. Why? because he had criticized their religious efforts, saying that sacrifices and praying and celebrating religious festivals would never please God or get them to heaven. No longer hiding, no longer impetuous, or no longer making grand statements about himself that we knew of Peter from, from the gospel account of Jesus. Here, Peter, very deliberately, steps up, calls for quiet, urges people to listen carefully to what he's about to say. And then what does he do? He talks to them about Jesus. The very guy that in their anger, they had set aside the law to get rid of just six weeks earlier. They would have expected, no doubt, to hear Peter say more about what they had just experienced. But what do they get? They get an extended talk about Jesus. As I say, the very person they thought they were rid of. Even more confronting, Peter is telling these hostile religious people that they were wrong, wrong about God and, and the basis of acceptance with them, wrong about Jesus, and the, and the basis on which they murdered him, and, and in factly wrong in their religious beliefs generally, and actually at odds with God. My friends, I would suggest to you this morning, given what we know of Peter from the gospel accounts, and what we see of Peter here, there's no question at all that Peter has been empowered by the Holy Spirit, as he emphasizes, emphasizes the thing he does, in, the things he, do, he does in his talk. First one is that Jesus can't be ignored. Now, picking up in verses twenty-two through to uh, twenty-five, there, Peter just gives a summary. Obviously, on the one hand, Peter's saying Jesus was really human; he was a carpenter's son from Nazareth. Yes, his birth was surrounded with suspicion. And yes, says Peter, he's really telling the crowd that yes, Jesus was so ordinary that the Jews were convinced he couldn't possibly be God's Messiah. God's Messiah would not be ordinary. That was their conclusion. Jesus had to go. But equally obvious, says Peter, that Jesus was God. Everything he didn't said, says Peter to this massive crowd, demonstrated 
not only that he was from God and had God's full support and approval, but that he was one with God because he was doing things that only God could do. And the most compelling evidence of this, Peter continues, is in his resurrection. He experienced death like other humans, but death could not hold him because he was God. And, and Peter's point here is that that also proves he was Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah, God's King and Savior, the one King David anticipated. And he quotes from King David, verse 25 through 30. King David anticipated uh, this moment hundreds of years earlier. Peter's clear. It couldn't have been, David couldn't have been speaking about himself because David's grave is still there. David's still in the grave. He must have been anticipating God's Messiah. And this moment has come now, says Peter. Now, you've got to understand what Peter was saying to this crowd. Every single point he was making here was the very stuff that would have riled them. To talk of resurrection of Jesus. To talk about them being wrong. To use King David's name to, to prove that Jesus was something. I mean, this was stuff. This was dangerous stuff, radical stuff that Peter was taking on with this crowd. And the second point then gets worse. Jesus' death was not what it seemed. The crowd had condemned and killed Jesus. Now, as they did that, they were claiming to be the servants of God, claiming to act to protect God's name from the madman as they saw Jesus to be. In actual fact, says Peter, not only did you illegally and violently kill Jesus, but you did so because of your stubborn unbelief and rejection of both Jesus and teaching. But, says Peter, here's the rub for you guys. God's verdict was totally different to your verdict. God's verdict about Jesus was totally different to yours. And even more amazing, Peter says to the crowd, you know what? You're evil, and that's the only way I can describe it, says Peter to the crowd. Your evil was actually woven into God's big picture plan of salvation. God used that moment of evil for your good, for your benefit, and the benefit of mankind. And so God, verse 22 and verse uh, 32 and 33, God restores Jesus to his rightful position of honor as king and lord of the world, and now also as savior of the world. Now again, Put yourself into the situation and, and feel how provocative those statements would have been to that Jewish religious crowd. The third point Peter makes is that you can't honor God while rejecting Jesus. The force of God's verdict on Jesus, verse 36, cannot be challenged. Let me read the verse to you again. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, what? That God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, or Messiah, or Savior. This Jesus, whom you crucified. 
I've stood before some hostile crowds in my day, but uh, nothing compared to that, I don't think. The equation is simple, says Peter. You cannot put a wedge between God and Jesus. You cannot say on the one hand, I serve the Lord, like you Jewish religious people do, but not bow before Jesus and recognize him as Savior and Lord, God's instrument of salvation. You just cannot do it. That's what you guys have tried to do, Peter says to the crowd, but you cannot do it. It is what Jesus does for you in his death that makes you acceptable to God. That's why the two cannot be separated. You cannot be acceptable to God by your religious efforts. You can only be acceptable to God through Jesus. So if you want to come to God, you come through Jesus. That's Peter's point here. That's Peter's logic. You come to God through Jesus, not your own efforts, not your own goodness, not your own religious performance. Now, given the sort of straight talk that Peter delivers to this crowd, we would expect a massive response, wouldn't we? And we get a massive response from the crowd, but I don't think it's the one we'd normally expect. We might well expect the crowd to surge forward and in their anger and hatred and do to Peter what they did to Jesus just 50 days earlier. Rip him apart. Get rid of him. Because he's saying all the things that Jesus said. And in fact, he's bringing to mind again that Jesus they thought they had finally got themselves rid of. So I think we would expect a large, massive response from the crowd. But the response we get here is not the one we expect. It's a very surprising response. Because it, there is something sweeps through the crowd but it's an overpowering conviction of sin and guilt before God. So last week, when the Spirit arrived, there, there was amazement, there was excitement, and there was some crude humor. Oh, they're just drunk. And that was, that was happening in, in response to the arrival of God's Spirit. But now, we can, we can sense a quietness settling on this crowd, a soberness settling on this crowd self-reflection and indeed the awful realization that they had got it so wrong in respect of god in respect of jesus and in respect of their salvation before as religious jews they were convinced that their acceptance before god was based on their own goodness and religious actions they were convinced that they'd done god a favor in killing jesus but now now they could see that instead of serving the Lord, they had arrogantly acted as if they were the Lord. Now there was this sickening realization that they stood alone and guilty before the Lord God of the universe, unable to plead ignorance, unable to plead anything that would lessen their guilt. And this sudden new realization 
breaks them and prompts nothing else but an urgent plea for help. How, how can we escape God's anger at our behavior? How can we escape? In verse 38, Peter immediately tells them the way ahead. Repent. What is repentance? Well, basically it's a, it's a total change of attitude and thinking, which results in, in totally different behavior. These, these folk in this crowd needed to change their attitude to themselves, to Jesus, and to God. They needed to listen to God's word and take it seriously, understanding that they rightly deserved God's judgment in spite of all their religious efforts. They needed to look to Jesus to deal with their sin and make them acceptable to God. They needed to give up their autonomy and start living under the rule of King Jesus. And more than that, Peter says they need to demonstrate the reality of their repentance in baptism. Now, this would have been a really, really big thing for these religious Jews. Because baptism was, the, was only used when you were bringing Gentiles into the Jewish faith. So baptism to these religious Jews would have been a humiliating admission of being wrong. Would have been a humiliating admission of new association with Jesus, whom they had just killed as a criminal a few weeks earlier. This was a total turnaround for these people. The amazing result of that repentance, the amazing result of true repentance for, for even murderous sinners, verse 38, complete forgiveness. In a moment, their situation was turned around. One minute, cowering under the wrath of God, realizing they could never pay the penalty their rebellion against God deserved and their actions had, had reinforced. The next minute, enjoying God's promise that guilt and judgment is totally wiped and, and replaced with full acceptance, family relationship with him, which is confirmed and guaranteed by God's spirit taking up residence in them. Friends, I, I fear I've done a disservice to this beautiful passage because it's, it's a picture that we're, we're meant to be sucked into and soak in. What a turnaround for more than 3,000 people that day. Just think about it. Peter, Peter takes on a crowd whipped into frenzy by spectacular events. And in response, 
He simply tells them the story of Jesus, who he is and what he has done and how God views him now. And that message alone, and it's a simple message, that message alone, by the power of God's spirit, demolished lifetime unbelief for some 3,000 people. Solemn converted, changing their attitudes and actions forever. What a moment. What an example or illustration of the Lord of the harvest, busy in the harvest. But there's more. Verses 42 to 47. There's a radically changed community. That's another illustration of the, the power of the Holy Spirit applied to the unstoppable salvation work of the Lord Jesus. A radically changed community of all-in commitment emerges. Now, I'm not going to dig into this at all. I'm just going to uh, race through it very quickly. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to, proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A radically changed community of all in commitment, totally committed to soaking themselves in God's word, hearing, learning, being shaped, being matured by that word. Uh, totally committed to church, worship, fellowship, prayer, you see, they sensed they were part of a new community, a new resurrection community, a new community of Jesus and his saved people. They wanted to be among a community of people who likewise delighted in Jesus, who owed, <clears throat> owed everything to Jesus, who honored and served Jesus. They wanted to be around people like that and in, and in community with them. They knew they needed each other in the daily struggle to be like Jesus and to witness for them. And they were totally committed to demonstrated reality. They're totally committed to showing the changing <clears throat> power of the gospel to those around them. And you can just see it there in those verses that they've been demonstrably moved from the attitude of me, my, mine, possessiveness. I've got my resources and they're mine. My time, my energy, my money, my possessions. 
demonstrably changed to lives characterized by other person-centeredness. What do you need? What do I have that I can use for your benefit? What blessing has the Lord given me that I can share with glad heart and praising the Lord with you? Not a sense of loss, but a sense of privilege. And this gospel-shaped community was incredibly attractive to their wider community. People were looking in on them, trying to work out what was going on in this new community as it was formed. They loved what they could see. They may not initially have realized they needed Jesus, who was at the heart of this community, but they sure knew they wanted to see something and experience something of this new community. They wanted to be part of a community where it wasn't possessive, it wasn't self-centered, where it was all in, where it was caring and loving and supportive. People want that in our dysfunctional, disconnected world. And as they come into that community, then we're told here that eventually they understood why the community was like that. And what was at the basis of that community? And ultimately, they came to Jesus themselves. And the Lord added to their number day by day. People who were drawn into this community, for whatever reason, first drawn into it. But ultimately, the point is that they were swept into the kingdom. Drawn into the community. Swept into the kingdom as they, knew, they found a fresh start in Jesus. Back to where I started. Friends, what a wonderful, what wonderful illustrations of what happens when we speak the gospel of Jesus. Lives are renewed in an instant. So, what will break down what do you think will break down the lifetime unbelief and religious thinking of your family members, uh, your workmates, and people you intersect with uh, on any given day? Perhaps we feel uneasy about telling people they're sinful. Uh, we feel uneasy telling people that their goodness won't win acceptance with God. We want we might not feel it easier, but telling them about God's wrath. Perhaps it sounds primitive, barbaric. Perhaps we just fear the response. But here's the point of Acts chapter 2. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, take this sentence away with you. The message of Acts chapter 2 is that an ordinary person, remember Peter was really ordinary, an ordinary person speaking the extraordinary message about Jesus can, with the Spirit's enabling, reduce the religious fanatic or the loudmouth cynic or the totally disinterested family member, friend, or neighbor and bring them to repentance and sweep them into the kingdom. 
start, I said, what do you expect when you speak the gospel of Jesus? My last word is, having looked at Acts chapter 2, what will you expect this week when you speak the gospel of Jesus? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your generosity to us in, in, in recording wonderful examples and illustrations like this, both which teach us of how you operate in your world, but also model it to us, Lord. Uh, forgive us if we've given up having expectation of seeing people respond when we speak the gospel of Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, if we've actually formed the only expectation that people will reject it. Lord, give us new hearts, new desires to gossip the gospel in our everyday affairs, trusting that you will do what only you will do by your spirit, break down re rejection and unbelief and sweep our friends and family members and work workmates into the kingdom. Lord, demonstrate your power to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.